man, we are streaming live during the fourth quarter of game two, Warriors Nuggets. Kyrie's favorite animal is the bird. Season award finalists announced for the 21-22 NBA awards and the Mavs say no Luca, no problem. This is Rosa Panza. This is the NBA, Bruh. oh sorry, this is the Clinic All-NBA Podcast. I have the three hooligans with me. JJ, how you living, my friend? You know, feeling good, feeling great. Question to everyone out there, including the watch- the listeners and the watchers. You gotta just pick, don't break it down. It's Ben Simmons versus the Sixers or Kyrie versus the Celtics. Ooh, interesting. John, how you living, my friend? I'm living great. Kyrie versus the Celtics, hands down. Yeah, I'm going to go with that too. Sammy, how you living, my friend? I'm good, my man. I will be contrarian then. I want to see Ben, little hack of Ben in Philadelphia. <laughs> and I'm going to pull RJ, RJ, our video producer, who's putting us on Twitch right now. Who are you picking, man? Hold up. I'm going to pick Ben. I, I, I don't know. I, I think he's a interesting guy. Deal. JJ, who are you going with, man? Oh, man. For entertainment value, damn, it's Kyrie. But for the drama, the sensitivity, I like Ben versus Doc and Embiid. So maybe I'll let the listeners and watchers know at the end of the pod my take. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we're going to start it off with some quick hit news. And here we go. All right, so in the Raptors Sixers series, it quickly looks like it might be a blowout. The Raptors came in game one, just no match for the Sixers. They lost by 20. It was Tyrese Maxey's coming out party. 38 points, five of eight from deep, 66% from the field. Joel Embiid and Harden didn't actually shoot that well themselves. They're only 11 of 32. We still had a blowout. And just to top it all off, the Raptors had multiple injuries. Scotty Barnes went out, he didn't play tonight. Uh, Thaddeus Young went out. Gary Trent had a non-COVID illness, only played 10 minutes tonight in game two. They lost tonight by 15. Embiid went out with 19 in the first quarter. And after the game, Joel Embiid called out Nick Nurse, saying to stop, let's say, complaining about calls. Oh, this has to stop. So the Warriors and Nuggets, a very interesting series because that came in with an ankle injury. First time playing game one, Jokic is the predicted MVP and from the looks of game one and game two, it looks like the Nuggets might get swept in the series, which raises a question for everyone out there, which is, can Jokic be considered the MVP as the sixth seed and being knocked out in the first round? People complained about Dirk in the past. People are starting to complain about Jokic. The Warriors have this new lineup with Poole, Clay, Steph, Draymond, and Wiggins. And a few of the names I like, there's the Fast Five, there's uh, the 3G group, 3G as in three guards. Well, let me take that back. I don't really like the, the, <laughs> the nickname. So I hope that us, meaning the clinic, could come up with something better. But in the moment, the Warriors are ahead 119.96 over the Nuggets and we'll see if they continue their dominance in Denver you're in my world now grandma the as expected the Suns dominated the Pelicans and no offense to New Orleans but 
this is like a varsity squad versus a JV team. The big three, Aiden, Booker, and CP3, they combined to shoot 60% from the field. Chris Paul, the head of the snake, dropped 30, 10, and 7. Three rebounds away from a triple-double. Point God showed up in game one. And you know what, guys? We had our first upset for these playoffs. The Timberwolves ended up taking down the Grizzlies, 130 to 117. Ja Morant, Dylan Brooks went crazy. They had 32 and 24 respectively. Memphis scored enough to win, but their defense was awful, allowing Minnesota to score 130. Credit to Anthony Edwards with 36 and Cat with 29 respectively. Absolutely crazy watching these two athletic freaks go after each other. Anthony Edwards, John Morant, seeing that block by Anthony Edwards was absolutely ridiculous as well. We're going to see if the Grizz could come out much stronger in game two. And finally, in the Hawks Heat series, Trey Young was completely iced. Best way to put it. One of 12 <laughs> in the game, eight points, and this was just a dominating performance from Miami. Looking like the loss of Capella is going to be a big deal for Atlanta. Not having the size inside to compete with Bam definitely hurt them in this game. They got John Collins back. He only played about 20 minutes, and he said after the game that he doesn't feel like he's going to be 100% for the season or for how long their season is going to go. So at this point, you got to figure the Hawks are a huge underdog. At the same time with how competitive Trey is, I expect him to come out absolutely locked in for game two tomorrow night so we will see if the hawks can make this a series absolutely not yeah so getting to our first topic here the nets versus celtics what a game one basically jason tatum going off for 31 points and he ends up hitting the game winner winning it for the celtics 115 114 such a crazy game what did you guys think of this game Man, what a game, right? But it actually lived up to the hype. Yeah. A buzzer beater by Jason Tatum. It, the last play was pretty much a scramble. It was obviously not a drawn up play, but they made it work. At the, I couldn't help but notice, but at the end of the game, I don't know if you guys rewatched the highlights or a replay, but that was Kyrie. He had an opportunity to actually step into the passing lane and take that ball away. I was throwing to Tatum in the lane, but he was kind of dazing off. And I know Kyrie had an amazing game offensively, but I, I figured there were a few points in the game defensively where he was not paying attention. I know he's not known as a defensive player, but it, it's something to take note of. And obviously KD, right? Shooting nine for 24, that's just not like him. He scored 23, but he just seemed off. And credit to Tatum. Tatum actually put the clamps down on occasion, multiple times in key plays to not shut down Durant, but contain him. And he did a good job. Let's see if he can do it in game two. But overall, it was a great game. A lot of back and forth, a lot of lead changes. I got to give it to the Celtics. You know, they, I thought they were going to fold when the Nets were up by, I think, seven or eight at the fourth in the fourth quarter. I thought they were going to, the Nets were going to take the game over and win game one. I still call the Nets to win this series in six, and I'm going to stick with that. I think KD is going to come out stronger in game two. I think he's going to figure it out, and I think they're going to do a lot more motion. I think you're going to see a different Kevin Durant come out in game two, and I, I would be 
I'll say this. I think he's going to score more than 40 points. What? But overall, I think this is going to be a great series. Defensively, the, the, the Celtics locked down. The play before the game winner with Jason Tatum, they locked down both Kyrie and KD, forcing KD to take a contested jump shot, which allowed the Celtics to actually run up and win the game on that Jason Tatum layup. So great game all around. I know that we have one of the big highlights that we'll talk about a little bit later, which I love to get your guys' thoughts on, and also the, the listeners' thoughts on, was Kyrie's interaction. But I want to hear your guys' <laughs> thoughts on the actual game first before we talk about Kyrie's little antics. Yes, sir. If I'm a Nets fan, I feel pretty confident knowing that the number one on our team, KD, had a bad game and they lost by only one. If I'm a Celtics fan, I'm also thinking that KD went 9 of 24. So depending on your perspective, was it good defense or was it just a bad performance from KD? I'm going to actually have to take and I'll ask Sammy to ponder this question while I, you know, give my stance on the whole game, which is, what was it for Katie? Was it a bad shooting night or was it the defense? Uh, my takeaway from the game was Katie and Kyrie, they terrify any opponent because they are the best ISO players on earth. If it's not Katie, then it's Kyrie. And lo and behold, you have the best scorer in a guard and the best scorer in a forward on the same team. And for this particular game, you had Kyrie just for a while. And when you do see these ISO players get into the groove and start making shots, you just wonder like, how long can they do it for? Do they need to run plays? And when Katie was with the Warriors, he even complained about Steve Kerr's system. Like, why do we have to pass seven, eight times to get the offensive game going? If I have the ability to ISO out and score at will, then I don't need to pass the ball, which to his credit is often true with KD. But I felt that for this particular game, that kind of bit them in the the behind because at the very end, they played perfect Deion KD. You had, uh, no, perfect Deion Kyrie. You had KD not knowing where to go, looking for the ball at the corner. And then on defense, Katie was even lost too. So yeah, I'm also questioning if Nash's coaching should be questioned for the last game because yeah! I felt they didn't run enough plays. I felt that the defense was out of whack. And perfect example of that was KD, who's your seven footer, was on top of the key looking the whole time and he lost <laughs> his man, the most important score on the Celtics in Tatum. But uh, I'll go back to my question. I'm sorry. Sammy, was it Katie's off game or was it the Celtics' good defense? So I think Katie is probably the best offensive player in the league right now. I'll, well, I'll preface that with this. And on some level, he was off, but just, you know, in our own kind of text chat that we were having throughout the game, I actually remember just thinking that the defense at certain points in this game for the for Boston was absolutely lights out. I thought they were smothering. I thought they did a great job of trapping where they could, locking in on KD at spots. And I I do expect KD to have a better game next game. I I think that 40 is, is a bold claim, but it's not remotely 
It wouldn't be remotely shocking if he comes out and puts up 45. I mean, he's KD. But I think you, you made a point that it didn't seem like they, they moved the ball around enough. And I know how dangerous KD and Kyrie are and they still won the game anyway. But just looking at some of these numbers on players that they need to, to come in and, and support and supplement. Bruce Brown had five points and we took three shots. That's a problem. Seth Curry had nine points in this game. Drummond only played 17 minutes, had eight points. They did get a contribution from Dragic. He had 14, Claxton at 13. I don't know if you can rely on that kind of output from those guys every game. So I think they they need Curry or Brown or both to supplement. They At minimum, they need to hit open shots. They need to be a little more aggressive. Just Brown taking three shots and Curry taking seven to me for both, that's not enough. They, they, need, to, they need to be a little more involved. Uh, on the other side of it, Balance-wise, I loved Boston's balance. Just going across the board, Tatum at 31, Horford at 20, Smart had 20, Brown had 23. It was mostly from the starters, but still, like that kind of distribution is awesome. And all those guys, the worst shooting percentage was about 47% out of Marcus Smart. And then defensively, the other big factor in this is that Robert Williams is scheduled to be back at some point in the series. And that obviously changes things. Bruce Brown said as much. I mean, they literally put it on the video board when he put up that material so they get Williams back with the way the defense is played I I very without a lot of confidence pick Boston to win the series at the beginning I'll actually that performance kind of reinforced for me I actually feel a little better about it and I, I do like Boston to, to win this series unless there's a little bit more involvement from Brooklyn offensively of at least a couple more players oh, so man. Were, were you picking I, Boston at the beginning I picked Boston win the series. At the start. Oh, interesting. Okay, okay, go okay. ahead, John. Sammy, Sammy picked them after they won Game One, <laughs> <laughs> and somehow I retroactively okay. put it on the pod yeah. last week. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I remember. You, I actually remember you picking Boston. So, I agree with what you, Sammy, and JJ said. You all make valid points about the Celtics, but one thing that keeps that keeps just creeping back in my head is that. The Nets allowed Al Horford, and no disrespect to Al Horford, but this is 2022. He's 35. This is not Atlanta Hawks, Al Horford. This isn't 2008. <laughs> right. He scored 20 points. Not only 20 points, but he grabbed 15 rebounds. You bonafide scrub. 35 years old. That's like as much as cr- I can give credit to Al Horford for that performance, which is amazing. The Nets can't allow that. That's just yeah. something like, yeah, like. You can allow Jason Tatum. You can allow Jalen Brown to go off. Those are the stars of the team. True. You can't let allow Al Horford to grab 15 boards and score 20 points. If you do that, you're going to lose the series. And for me, that's something that I think that you just have to contain. And I think the Nets will do that. I think part of it, though, was Andre Drummond got into early foul trouble. So I think if Drummond could stay out of foul trouble, I think um, the stats for Al Horford goes goes down you know another big body to put on Al Horford but I wanted to ask you guys Kevin Durant is is the defense on Kevin Durant sustainable yes or no absolutely not to that level maybe not because he is just such a great offensive player but I think that formula can be relatively effective and I do wonder what the point I made about balance earlier is their thought going to be let's try to shut down everybody else just be as smothering as possible and if they beat us just with the two of them going off. Like if between Katie and Kyrie, they put up 70 points, 
can we shut down the rest of the team enough that we can still win the game anyway? I don't know if that's their off or their defensive strategy, but I think it was, yeah. And it worked for at least one game, so I'd be curious to see how that continues. I think it's only sustainable if the Nets don't adjust. And JJ made a good point about Ash, but if you're not running a pick and roll with Kyrie and KD 70, 80% of the time, what are you doing? Right? You got guys yeah. that are going to have to switch and both guys can shoot the mid range or they can drive. That's the most deadly combination that you have. You need to run that constantly. I know that Tatum, they have guys that can switch Jalen Brown. They have mobile guys, but that's something that you have to run because it opens things up for everything else. And in the middle, the other thing that we none of us have mentioned here either is how does Ben Simmons factor into this if he is indeed back in game four as being reported? Yeah, Where does you know, he I, fit in the flow of that offense? I think Sorry, it makes ahead. it I think it makes it better for KD, honestly, because I that, that'll take the ball off of his hands. That allows Steve Nash to actually draw plays up for KD so that he can start moving off ball, in my opinion. I don't know, JJ, do you, do you think this defense that the Celtics uh, were playing against uh, KD is sustainable? I think it is with the current movement of the Nets offense. When you see the when you see the Nets, it's iso ball as all of us talked about, right? But if you really do a deep dive of how the Celtics do their defense, it's you block the passing lanes, you surround the offensive ball handler and they double. It's crazy how quick they double and then they reset and they they do it so quickly that if Ben Simmons were to come in, what, what do they have to worry about? They could double without him. Remember what John said? He has a phobia of shooting the threes. Like he has night tremors just thinking about shooting the three. <laughs> Imagine when he goes onto the floor, they're going to challenge him. They oh, could actually have Marcus Smart play the safety of the defense, have him set on Ben Simmons and help whenever he wants. So because think- of the lack of movement with the Nets, Marcus Smart could have his way up within the key. So you think the Celtics defense would be even better against KD if Ben Simmons is also on the floor? It's it's crazy, but I'm going to say yes, just because I'm sorry the ISO you. play with Kyrie and and KD like they have I haven't seen much ball movement where I'm like is it really deadly to have another point guard on the floor if they're going to have the ball in their hands the whole time What yeah. would the counter do that That's true also thinking about like the Hacka Hacka Simmons thing and then maybe they interchange it sometimes and go Hacka Drummond and they just like make them trade off free throws <laughs> just yeah. to whoever's cold And right. can like, I make one more crazy. point yeah. Which is like, this is like the conundrum of the modern NBA. We see it with the Lakers this year, past Cavs teams, even some of the Warriors teams where they try to bank on these vet players and they end up wasting spots where they could have gave it to a young talent. Look at Blake Griffin. Look at Aldridge. These were players that are taking up spots at the four and five where they are tremendously weak at. Like John said, Al Horford is like 50 years old and he's grabbing 30,000 rebounds. There's no <laughs> excuse for Al Horford to get that many rebounds as John stated. Yeah. I mean, playoff experience 
and veteran leadership is important, but there comes a point when it's just diminishing returns at a, at a certain level, right? When you're a certain age, like us, like me, at a certain age, I can't do the things that I can, used to do physically. It's kind of like that. You just have to let it go. <laughs> yeah. That was depressing. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we're going to get to our, um, I guess our next subtopic here. Kyrie had an interesting interaction with the Boston Celtic crowd. On multiple occasions, Kyrie caught, um, I mean, sorry, the cameras caught Kyrie flipping the bird and making crying baby gestures at the crowd. And he was very, very, very sneaky about some of his flipping the birds. Do you see it like where he put his hands behind his head so you can't quite see his fingers, but the crowd can? What do you guys think of Kyrie's interaction with the crowd here? Do you guys like it? Nah? I love it. I just think it, it makes the playoffs like more intense because clearly he can't stand the fans. He also had the locker room interaction. I don't know if you mentioned that on his way in where someone called him out and said, you suck Kyrie. And he had a uh, very choice comment that we cannot put on our non-explicitly rated podcast. So <laughs> look it up if you find it interesting. Definitely look it up. Um, Can I do that? Well, I mean, I, I don't mind it. I mean, I just, I think adding that emotion and getting him interacting with the crowd, clearly they have a lot of disdain for him and he's not hiding it. And depending on the scenario, I'm not always a fan of that, but in this case, just makes it even more interesting. Every game in Boston is just a little more interesting now because of that, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it was, uh, it was entertaining. I'll leave it at that. But, uh, it's it's interesting because I don't know if you guys watched his post game, but this this is what Kyrie had to say after the fact. He said, "Quote, and it's not every fan. I don't want to attack every fan, every Boston fan. When people start yelling, wussy, or snitch, and stuck too, <laughs> those aren't the words. Those are the words that they rhyme with. So use your imagination, everybody, and all this stuff." There's only so much you can take as a competitor. Where the ones expected to be docile and humble, take a humble approach. Walk, wat, it's the playoffs. This is what it is. So if somebody's going to call me out by my name, I'm going to look them straight in the eye and see if they're really about it. Most of the time, they're not. So for some context, Kyrie claims that these fans were yelling obscenities, calling him names, saying things inappropriate. Excuse me. Honestly, I have to side with Kyrie a little bit on that. I feel like the fans take too many liberties and I know they're paying customers. I know that they are there to watch the game, but you're paying to watch the game and be entertained. There's not something in a clause in the ticket that says, hey, you can come there and verbally abuse, cuss out players. <laughs> I mean, in what world, right? Would you be able to do that? But for some reason, it's acceptable in, in a sport atmosphere. So for me, I, I, I completely get behind Kyrie. And I and this is somebody who is thinks Kyrie is has been annoying in the past and done things that are very not, you know, that that are not um that people don't appreciate or like. So for me to get behind him is it says a lot. I think the fans they go too far. But I think it's funny. I think it, it adds a lot. Like Sammy said, it adds a lot of 
it just adds to the playoffs. It adds to the allure. It adds to the drama. And I, I'm, I'm totally cool with it. I hope the series goes longer than I, I said it would. Maybe seven games. Let's add it to ten games just so that we can see more of Kyrie engaging <laughs> no. the crowd. JJ, what you think? Yeah, Kyrie doesn't really have a history of doing this, so you have to think what do the Boston's what did the Boston fan base say to him? And I don't want to call any specific fan bases, but Boston has had a history of being pretty gnarly with the fan base and what they say to players in MLB, NFL, and even the NBA. Right. So I'm sure that Adam Silver. Tells his players you got to act professional, but at the same time, it's like what my two dudes said here: fans get away with a lot. Like, would you say half the things you say at a game with your mom there? Probably not. You have people drinking. They're saying they're saying all these insults, and it's just like you can't. You gotta expect the player to respond back. And if Adam Silver wants his players to act super professional and role models. Then he needs to tell these these staff members to do their jobs and protect the players and kick out any any fan acting up, or else they're gonna have another Detroit problem. Right. The Palace, right? I mean, in hindsight, yeah. when people think about the Palace, they're like, "Did that really happen? Did we really see Ron Artest?" Going to the stand, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, seriously, MMA impersonation, like, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like this generation, when they see that, and they're, you know, you read the comments or like, you know, in my in my professional field, I'll show it to my class, and they're like, no way, that's no way did that happen. But yeah, that's what happens when you have humans acting with humans, and you get raw emotion out, and that's how people react, like. Yeah. Everyone's at fault, but long story short, I love I love the smack talking, and Kyrie backed it up. Oh yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, he he had the chance to even put the dagger with the with the smack talk, right? If it wasn't for Boston's great defense, I'm gonna say that having villains in NBA playoffs is what makes NBA playoffs so freaking good. Like the fact that we're gonna get. Potentially seven games of Kyrie talking to Celtics fans, etc., is the same reason why we really want Ben Simmons to step into Philly, right? Because we want to see these interactions. We want to see what happens. We want to see what the players do, what the fans do, and it's definitely must-see TV. And we're gonna watch every single one of these Nets Celtics game. But right now, we're gonna take a short break with a quick word from our sponsor, Sammy. Take it away. The NBA playoffs means next level basketball. Get in on the first round action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You win no matter what. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of the playoffs and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So for our next topic here, 
The Bucks begin their title defense with a victory over the Bulls, 93-86, to 86, a low-scoring game. What do you guys think of game one between these two teams? Giannis's numbers, double-double, 16 rebounds. Kaboom! 27 points. And the Bucks were up, and then the Bulls caught up. But it seems like the Bulls, guys, they never get the respect. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like the actual players. Um, my takeaway from the game was that the Rosen and Levine, oh my goodness, they were off. And yeah. they could have won that game if they at least made after shots, but they were what, 12 for 44? And the Rosen was in the MVP conversation. If you're going to show up in the playoffs, you got to do it against the reigning MVP and Giannis. And I'm expecting and hoping that. The Rosen bounces back, but they have yet to prove that they are a competitor against the best. They have a losing record against the best teams in the East and West Coast, or in the Western Conference. And we'll just see, but I mean, if I'm being really honest about the Bucks and Bulls series, I don't know if the Bulls could pull away, but if, I'm willing to hear it out if you guys are have anything yeah. to say about that. Do you, do you think it was the Bucks defense or do you think it was an off night between DeRozan and Levine? I think it was the defense for sure. Right? Yeah, just adding on to that too, Vucevic shot nine of 27, which two things about that. One, 33%. <laughs> two, why did he take more shots than DeRozan and, and yes. Levine? Yes. That's- Did you say 27 attempts? Nine of 27. That is crazy. Yeah. What? And just to pile on to that, the bench scored 14 points total, and Kobe White scored 12 of that. If you take that, out, if you take out Kobe White, the bench scored two points. So, and just Ouch. they shot 32% for the game, 19% from three. And I think the reason they don't get the respect is because of the stat you referenced earlier, JJ. At one point, I don't know how they finished, but at one point they were two and 18 against the top three seeds in each conference. This is just not a team that competed at the high end. They were beating down the teams that they should have beat. And I wonder if we look back at their schedule in hindsight, if the first 20 or 30 were maybe against a much weaker schedule than we realized at the time, maybe. I know obviously they got hit with injuries this year. Crusoe's off for a while. Lonzo Ball obviously never came back. And I think it's underrated how important that was. But honestly, I don't see the series going more than five. I think this was as close as the Bulls were going to get that they probably let one slip away here. Because looking at the Bucks side too, Middleton's not going to shoot four for 13 every game. Drew Holiday's not going to shoot six for 16. The only two guys that really played well offensively for the Bucks were Giannis and Brooke Lopez. Bobby Portis shot three for eight. Connaughton was one for seven. The Bucks didn't play well, and they still won the game. So, yep. I I don't see this one going long, and I think it leads. Maybe this is also me hoping, but I think it leads into a round two with the Bucks against either the Celtics or the Nets. And either way, that'll be must-watch TV. John, can I ask you a question? No. Is it just is it Tristan <laughs> yes. Thompson's fault? Is it whose fault, Caruso? Tristan Thompson's fault. Definitely Tristan Thompson's fault. <laughs> According to Brandon Jennings, Tristan Thompson 
who I don't know if he played a single minute in game one. This is absolute, absolutely his fault. Tough team. He actually had the other two seven, seven minutes. Yeah, seven yeah. minutes. Okay, yeah. seven yeah. minutes, seven yeah. minutes. Seven Might minutes yeah. May as well have been zero. Okay. So my take on this is a little different from Sammy and JJ's. I, while I do think the books are going to win, and I think that's a consensus among most people, most rational people, is I think the Bulls are going to put up a fight. And I think their defense, and Billy Donovan, Billy Donovan, excuse me, I think he's an underrated coach. And I think they're going to figure out a way to give the Bucks a little bit of problems. And I know the Bucks played really good defense, but I think a lot of the reason why Middleton and Drew Holiday didn't play that well is because of the Bulls' defense. And I think the series is going to go six games. If if I had to guess, DeRozan six for twenty five. I don't think that's gonna hold up. Maybe he won't shoot fifty percent, but six for twenty five is pretty awful. And Levine shot six for nineteen. But I think the size and the mobility of Levine and DeRozan is gonna give Middleton problems this series. And I don't. I think that four for thirteen is gonna be more of. You're gonna see more of that kind of shooting than you would normally see from Middleton in the series. That's my thought. So I think the series is obviously, I think the Bucks are going to win. They have the experience. They have the better team, if we're being honest. And But I, I do think the Bulls are going to put up a fight. So I'm going to say Bucks in six. Yeah, I think the I think the Bulls are going to put up a fight too. I mean, the Bucks had 21 turnovers. And I want to say half of those turnovers weren't accidents. Like, it was just really good defense that the Bulls were playing. But then again, I start to think about the Bucks having like what is it eight eight days of rest or something like that so maybe it was a little bit of just trying to get their groove back what do you guys think do you think the fact that the bucks only scored 93 points was because they had eight days off it's not a tuma mix of both good bulls defense plus rust i i think both of those are factors that that's too long a break for most teams from what we've seen in the past yeah it could be it, it definitely well could be and the bucks could just steamroll the bulls and i could be completely wrong i mean Giannis scored 27, which is a lot, but he's more than capable of doubling that point total. So if he does go off for the rest of the series, this could be short. So John, I'm going to ask you, since you said you think this game is, this series is going to be longer than, uh, than most people think. think. Right. What do you think would be the recipe as in like, what would need to happen during this series in order for them to make it longer, the Bulls to make it longer? I think they need to replicate what they did in game one and whether that's the Bucks just being too well rested or the Bulls playing them well, but allowing Giannis to get his, I mean, he's a superstar. He's a reigning, you know, yeah. MVP, but maybe like keep let him get his, but to keep, well, yeah, try to contain him as much as possible, but to keep the rest of the players on that team to contain them. Middleton had 11. You can keep him to within the 15, maybe 17 range. Drew Holiday shot poorly. Keep him contained. And, I mean, they lost by seven points, but DeRozan and Levine shot a combined 12 for 40, 44. So if they can play better, then this game one would be a different story. So that's, I think that, I don't think they change much. They just need to play better and tighten up and their stars need to play better. Got you. And you know, 
Sammy, were you about to say something? Come on. I'll just add one other point. Uh, you guys know me on this show as the gambling aficionado. So I was curious when the series odds came out just to see how every series looked and just to put this in perspective for everyone listening out there. The most even series by far from the bookmakers perspective. So think uh, DraftKings Sportsbook primarily, of course. Uh, Boston was a very small favorite against the Nets. So call it, it was about minus 120 for those of you who aren't familiar with it, meaning you bet 120, you win $100. The two most widely spread out series, one was expected, Suns-Pelicans, the Suns opened at about minus 1,200, meaning that 1,200 to 100. The second mm-hmm. one was actually this series. The Bucks opened as minus 1,100 favorites, meaning the bookmakers wow. and the general public thought Chicago had no shot. And I found that interesting. I honestly thought Chicago was going to be lose quickly in the series, but just off the season they had, I personally thought it was going to be closer to about minus five or six. So when I saw that, I was pretty shocked. I just wanted to kind of throw that in there just from the, uh, like the consensus public opinion from the betting perspective. Yeah. So one thing, go ahead. One thing to watch out for, this is my bet or my take. If the Bulls do win game two, I want to see the, Grayson Allen versus Caruso game three matchup. <laughs> I'm surprised no one's yeah. talking about that because wasn't Mrs. I mean, uh, Mr. Tristan Thompson talking smack and getting Caruso's back and saying that there's payback to be had with Grayson Allen. So only so much payback you can do in seven minutes of game time. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Man, I, I completely forgot about that whole background for those two, but that's super duper interesting to look out for. I'm going to take us to our next topic here, though. The Lucas Mavs lost game one to the Jazz, but ended up tying the series tonight in a game two victory. 110 to 104. Brunson went absolutely nuclear. 41, 8 and 5. What the heck do we make of these of this series, boys? I'm going to give you a semi-warm slash hot take, depending on your perspective. For those of you out there who enjoy this iteration of Utah Jazz basketball, the Scobert, Mitchell, Bogdanovich combination, all five or six of you out there who really enjoy it, enjoy the last four or five games of it, because it's not going to exist anymore at the end of the series. Oh, oh my! That's, that's my take on this. Dang. Someone or both of them are gone after yeah. this this is not a team that's happy they don't like playing together and much respect to jalen brunson he was amazing tonight yeah but the mavs are a team that are specifically built to be role players around their megastar their megastar is out utah has to win both of these games has to and they almost blew both of them they lost they won game one but that game was close and then they blew game two tonight you cannot do that. This team is, you look at the players, all solid role players, Kleber, Powell, Finney Smith, Brunson, but these are all guys that can't, they basically need someone setting them up. And Brunson's good, Dinwiddie's solid, but 41 for Brunson? I mean, hold up. much respect to him. Great. He just made himself a <laughs> lot of money this offseason because yeah. he's a free agent. Yeah. So... So my take on this is I don't I do not think they win the series. I don't think they get out of this round and something major happens. If not, both go bear and Mitchell, bare minimum one is gone in the offseason. Most likely go bear if they get the value from they want. Flawless victory. John, what you think? 
I just I don't know what to say anymore. I mean, the Jazz are they're just the Jazz, right? <laughs> the Jazz is doing that, Jazz is that, stuff. Is that like saying enough? Because every year, this year included, I just look at the team and I'm think I would not be surprised if they lose the first round of the playoffs. Every year, it's it's like that to me. I'm just never impressed by them. And I don't know if it's the narrative around Rudy Gobert, which it very well might be, but he had five points, all free throws in game one. Yeah. yeah. He did have 17 rebounds, but that's supposed to be the Jazz's second best player, right? Right. At least a lot of people think that. Theoretically, right. But to score five points all on free throws, Donovan Mitch- Mitchell... Maybe they were they were right that Donovan Mitchell did not like to pass the ball to him because scoring five points is clearly evident of that. And like Sammy said, this series, I would have to say that the Mavs are going to win this series. How can you not beat a Mavs team that's predicated on Luka doing almost everything? He's literally the heart and the soul of the team. He makes them go. He is the engine. He does literally almost everything for that team. Yet Jalen Brunson had 41 points. You have guys like Finney Smith scoring more than their av- his average for the season. And props to the Mavs. I mean, they 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 won a game without Luka, which a lot of people didn't expect. Now it's going back to Utah, tied 1-1, and. If he comes back in game three, it's a different, completely different ball game. But that's obviously a must win for the Jazz. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, on to what you guys were saying. What's insane is that you had Bexie Kleber, who shot eight for 11 for threes. Who would have thought? So he had 25 <laughs> points. Yeah. And this was, according to StatMuse, Second most threes in a playoff game ever from off the bench. Wow. And if you watch the game, which we all did, I know we there's a lot of blame on Rudy Gobert, but this is supposed to be a top defensive team. They've always been ranked high, not as much this year, but in previous years, the, the guards were just getting beat off the dribble. If the three-point stat isn't a telling sign, it's also how many points were in the key and how many times Rudy had to come up and help. And like what these two said, when you have a lack of defense, when you have a defensive breakdown, especially without Luca out there, kind of shows that they're mentally not in the game. So I think it is time to break up this duo of Donovan and Rudy. And we've been saying that, right? Over yeah, and over. Just, just to add one more thing to that too. If this was the first time that something like this had happened, then maybe you could justify it. They didn't know how what you or Dallas game plan's gonna look like, whatever the case may be. One year ago, they were the number one seed, second round. Kawhi Leonard blows out his knee when the series is two two. And they let an unknown Terrence man in game six put up 39 points. Yep. Close out the series and they blew two games back to back with Kawhi out. This looks very similar 
on the surface. And you know what? I might eat my words if they go into the Utah, just absolutely blow out the Mavs the next two games and finish the series in five or six, but I just can't see it. But I just, it's weird how this mirrors the end of the last series last year that they played in as the top seed. Uh-huh. I just don't understand how Rudy Gobert can't just get like 10 points just on lobs. Like he's so he's so long. Like how does that not happen? If JaVale McGee could catch a few dunks mm-hmm. here and there, Rudy Gobert should be able to do that on a consistent basis. The fact that he's not getting these points in big playoff games is unacceptable. I don't know what their coach is doing either because they got to find a way to at least get him involved because otherwise on offense, that's just a black hole, right? So I want you guys to... I'm going to start with JJ here. I got, I want you to make a prediction here. Do the Mavs take down the Jazz? Yes. In the first round. If you think yes, okay. Yes. In six games. Six games. John, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to say Mavs in seven with a Luka return in game five. Okay, Sammy. I'm going to go with Jay. Mavs in six. Finish it out at home. I'm going to go with John. I'm going seven. I'm going seven. I I think we're all predicting the the Jazz to just melt down here. Um, we're at 50 minutes. Do you guys want to go over season awards real quick? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. All around. right. So the first the first couple, I'm I'm gonna just wipe it off. It's it's not even a conversation anymore. Marcus Smart wins Defensive Player of the Year. Gary Payton, the Glove, awarded him this today. Also, six Man of the Year. Tyler Hero is probably gonna win it. I don't really want to talk about it. It's not interesting to me. The first one is Coach of the Year. The finalists here, Taylor Jenkins, Eric Spolstra, and Monty Williams. Who do you guys think is going to come out on top here? You want to know something? It's going to be Monty Williams. Sorry, Sammy. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say Monty Williams because he should have won it last year. But great point. Get it? Yeah, Thibs. Where everyone's uh, complaining about that. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you at now, Thibs? How things right. change year to year. Yeah. I I agree. I think Monty's going to get it. And he'll be deserving if it was my choice on this, honestly. I think I give it to Taylor Jenkins because who saw Memphis coming out and having the season they had? Yes, so, I yeah. props to him. Great year for Memphis. It's true. Not even Pete Pratica. Shout out, though. We love you, Pete. Shout out. Yeah, I wouldn't agree. Taylor Jenkins <laughs> is my pick. And, you know, yeah, I think the narrative when the pundits and people get it wrong, they like to try to make it up in the following year. Like when Kobe should have won the MVP that year that he took Smush Parker and Luke Walton and Brian Cook to the playoffs. He didn't yeah. win it. He lost to Nash, but then he won the following year, so... Yeah, I would be hyper or uh, happy for either one of those, like Taylor Jenkins or or Mon- Monty Williams. I don't think, like Spolstra, it, it's a good pick, but I think the other two are are a lot more attractive to me. So for most improved player, we have the three here: Darius Garland, John Morant, and Dejounte Murray. Who comes out on top here? Well, JJ shaking because, his head right yeah, now. Yeah, I can I'm, see the head shaking. So we have to throw the honorable mention in the Jordan Poole highway robbery that he's not a finalist on this. JJ, make your case, man. Okay, when I think of most improved, it's point A to point B and the jump from point A to point B. And if you're going to have John Morant there, he was a top, top pick. He was an all-star. 
and he's <laughs> expected to get the max. That 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 wasn't a surprise. I'm sorry, but Jordan Full, call me in Homer. I don't care. But last year, he was cut. He was sent to the G League. He came back, and now he's expected to get a 25, 26, 27 million dollar per year contract. G League to that. In one year, that's insane. But I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> so, go ahead. I, I, I yeah, I think not having Jordan Poole as a finalist is kind of whack. Well, it is not kind of. It's pretty whack. But I still, I don't think I would pick him even if he was a finalist. I think I'm gonna have to go with Darius Garland because Jordan Poole, he's kind of the He's off the bench, but he's also kind of like the spark, and he's his responsibility is really just to score. If we're being like, if we're really being real about it, right? But Darius Garland is like the head of the Cavs. He's like the snake, and with Colin Sexton coming out, going out with a, a season-ending injury, Darius Garland took that Cavs team and he led them to the playoffs. I know Evan Mobley was a big part of that, and collectively they played well. But Darius Garland is. He took that leap from a good player to a star, in my opinion. So I would, go, I'm gonna have to go with Darius Garland on this, on this one. Oh, so I think Jaw's gonna win it, first of all, and he had a hell of a year by anyone's account. Oh, that's I, so and, yeah. And we're all massive Jaw homers here. Yeah, I, I love, love Jaw as a potential MVP candidate. Based on the finalists, I think I'd actually go Dejounte Murray as much as I love Garland as well. Oh, crazy. Um. No one talks about him because the Spurs are literally not even on NBA TV at this point, uh, so he's never on. But just such yeah. an underrated player. Just watching, I watched them where I could here and there, which honestly, just again because of syndication and just being on TV wasn't much. I just felt like he really took a massive step, similar to Paul. It just wasn't talked about because, again, we just didn't see a lot of him unless you were on a league pass all the time. Garland, I agree, was terrific this year. I think. By a hair, what gave this to Murray for me is just the same way that Morant was a number two pick, highly touted player. Garland was a four pick, also a high lottery pick, expected to get better. I did not expect the leap that Garland made, but Murray to me, I thought he was solid. I didn't see the year he had coming that he had this year. So, and also again, also maybe the All Star team for the first time. So, I'll throw one uh, for Murray for this award. And I have one question for you guys. I'll, I'll start off with Jun. I, I read this, and I kind of agree with it. And you guys can call me crazy. Does Jordan Poole remind you of Ginobili and a Lillard? He's very crafty. He could shoot the three, and he could pass too. Shown with eight assists tonight. Oh man, I'm trying to think of who he reminded. When he first came out of college, I thought he was gonna be like J.R. Smith. Um. But now that you say that, I could kind of see it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not mad at that comparison. He kind of has, he kind of has that quirky style, like Ginobili. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I see the Lillard fearlessness, willing to take any shot, pretty much, which takes He's, a hell of a lot of confidence to be willing to take any shot when you're sitting next to Clay and Steph. So. Yeah. He's definitely a irrational confidence guy, but yeah. he, he's gotten some success. My pick for most improved player is going to be Darius Garland. I don't, I don't know if anyone cares, but 
<laughs> for our next one, rookie of the year, Scotty Barnes, Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley. I feel like this is a really close race between these three. Who do you guys think comes out on top? Well, this one is probably the tightest one. I've been on Evan Mobley's bandwagon all year, even though I actually thought he wasn't going to be great during the plane just because of the moment, and I thought they were outmatched. Stepped up, played well there too. I appreciate what all three of these guys did. I think they all have very, very bright futures. I just love that Mobley came in and became a defensive anchor as a rookie because that never happens. Just absolutely never happens. To understand the defensive side yeah. of the game when you're 19, 20 years old and to have the offense to back it up where you're not that black ball on offense, yeah, you're a defensive stopper. So, I mean, props to all three of these guys. They're going to have amazing careers, but I'm going to I'm gonna go with Mobley on this one. I'm going with Mobley too. John, what do you think? I'm going Mobley, but I think it's going to be because the the pundits, they're not going to pick Garland. They're going to pick John Moran, and they feel like they need to pick a Cav, so they're going to pick Evan Mobley. They're going to do it for all the wrong reasons. Mm. That's my thought. JJ, <laughs> <laughs> where are you going with this? I'm going Mobley, but watch out for Jalen Green and Kaminga. Yeah, that's true. You're talking about like next year? Next year, the that year jump? after that. that Seems like a really good draft class so far. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sure. I wouldn't be surprised if either one of those dudes was on Most Improved Player for next year as a finalist. Mm -hmm. But anyway, our last one. We've talked about this before. Most valuable player. We have the Greek Freak, the Joker, and the Process. I gave all their nicknames here. Who you guys think is coming out on top? Well, I can't change my pick mid-season that would be blasphemous so i'm sticking with it joel the process Embiid. nice sticking with my diagnosing the lines pick got to go with the joker i'm, I'm taking Jokic on this one okay forgive me because i don't do this often but i'm willing to accept my faults i've never picked mvps with that, that we're on a team lower than a 60 with the exception of this year with Jokic and it would be crazy if the Warriors knock out the Nuggets and Jokic wins MVP <laughs> so I'm gonna hop on the yeah. Jun and John, John bandwagon and do I dare vote and beat now? Is that is that crazy? Should I? Do I keep it with do Jokic? It. I don't. Do it. You know you want to. Do it. He do should. It. I think Embiid should win it, but Jokic will. That's what I'll say. I, I think I'm, yeah, that's exactly where I'm at too. Um, but anyway, thank you guys for being on. That's actually all we have for tonight's pod. Thanks to those who are watching our Twitch stream right now. JJ, thanks for being on, man. Thank you. I want to see Ben Simmons get yelled at at Philly, and I want to see Kyrie get yelled at Boston more. Hook it up, NBA. <laughs> John, thanks for being on, man. Hey, thank you, Kyrie. We're ready for some more birds, man. Keep flipping those. <laughs> Sammy, thanks for being on. Always good to be here, and thank you, everyone, for listening and, to, and for rolling <laughs> with us on that live stream tonight. We appreciate it. And, of course, shout out to our video producer, RJ. Thanks for putting us on Twitch, man. Check out, check out our YouTube channel. Remember to rate, subscribe, and review. Like us on our Facebook group page, The Clinic All MBA Podcast, and follow us on Twitter at Clinic All MBA. I'm Rosa Panta. This is The Clinic All MBA Podcast. Come find us wherever you get your podcasts.